Well, good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It is good to be here again. It's been quite a long time since I've been here. When I was younger, I used to get here a little more often than what I do now. My family used to come here. Warren was about every year, I think, at least to make a trip out here. And I, uh, some of my boys were sitting here and they didn't want to go to Sunday school. I remember when I was sitting on these benches and I didn't want to go to Sunday school at this church too, so I wasn't too hard on them. But it's good to be here and worship with you um, for a message this morning. I like to think about worship. And recently we had summer Bible school at our church, and in the one lesson we talked about worship and what is worship and how does it affect our emotions and and all that. And so that led me on a, a journey of studying into worship a little bit, and I'd like to bring that message uh, to you here this morning. So the title of the message is Principles of Worship. It is natural for man to worship. It's as natural for us to worship as it is for us to live and to breathe. Because we all worship something or someone. We all worship something. Why is that? It's because we were created by God to naturally enjoy being awed by something. A lot of what people do are a result of this natural desire. A lot of what drives us and makes us do things is for that natural desire to want to be awed. A little over a week ago, um, some of the boys and I were in Ohio at Horse Progress Days. If you're familiar with Ag Progress Days there in Pennsylvania, it's similar to that. But it's a, it's a show where they have, there's a lot of vendors there that are displaying their products. There's demonstrations. There's um, a lot of different stuff going on. And at this show, there was two uh, older lumberjacks there that um, had a little demonstration. And with that, they to help draw the crowd, they were trying to be a little bit funny at least. But they did things like axe-throwing competitions um, where they would throw an axe and try to hit the bullseye and they were taking score. Uh, they did things like a race between a two-man saw and a chainsaw. Um, one man tried to stand on a log floating in water to show, to demonstrate how they would um, float logs back in the day. And all these different things, they would add all these little funny things in there and extraordinary things to try to awe the crowd. And we just, we stood there and we loved it because like, wow, look at this. A few months ago, my daughter and I were in um, southern Montana at a seminar and we were right close to the Rockies there and Beartooth Pass goes up through the Rockies. Um, if you've ever been there, you know how beautiful that is. And this was... In the spring here, right after, actually, it just opened up the day before, and we got to drive up through there a little bit just to see the beautiful mountains, lots of snow up there. And um, we went up through there, and every corner you'd go around, we were just awed by the beauty. And there's a pull-off up towards the top that we, we pulled off, and you walked out onto this point where you could see a valley down this way, a valley down that way, and a valley back this way. And you could just see all around with the beautiful mountains and snow cap, and we stood there in awe. We enjoy being awed by things. We like that. But you know, while we were standing there looking out over the valley, looking at the mountains, there were some little chipmunks and some other little rodents around there. 
And they were just going about their normal life. We did not see all those chipmunks lined up on the wall with their little paws up with their cheeks just standing in awe at the mountains. No. That is the difference between animals and us. Animals glorify God in their own way. But it is mankind that was created that enjoys being awed by things. You don't see wild horses lining up at one end of the of Chincoteague Island, lining up and say, all right, at the click of the hoof, we're going to race the other end and see who gets there first. No, it is men that will sit on horses and when the gate flies open, they race around the track and it's the men that love to be awed to see how fast they can make those horses run and see which horse is the fastest. You don't see birds sitting on the ground watching two other birds doing demonstrations and just being awed by how close they flew together and, and all the wild things that they can do. Animals don't do that. We are created to enjoy to be awed. We get a thrill out of being awed over cool things. Godly worship is when we focus that natural desire to be awed to God. And we, and we see religious reverence and homage to bow down, to prostrate oneself before another and what it does today here in the New Testament. Old Testament worship was designed by God. People would bring their, and they would sacrifice that to God. And God would come down to meet them in the holiest of holies. And sacrifices were brought to God and God would in turn bless the people. And as we look at, as we look at Old Testament worship, we see a lot of outward form, a lot of outward things and ceremonies that went along with Old Testament worship. New Testament worship is a little bit different. Now, we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of God, and we continue and perfect the worship of the Old Testament in this New Testament era. Our offerings are presented to God and Blessings are received from him. We no longer bring sheep and goats to the temple. I'm glad we don't have to do that. We don't bring uh, the best of the cows, the best of whatever you have, and sacrifice that to God this morning. But the principles remain the same. The principles of worship are the same. Religious thought and feeling can only express themselves in word and action. Therefore, outward forms are necessary in every kind of worship. And so when there is worship that is happening, I believe there will be an outward form, and that includes in the New Testament worship. Worship is not something that is done to us or for us, but it's done by us. And it's something you have to do this morning. I can't do it for you. When a preacher has to wow the congregation in order for you to worship, then it's no longer worship. Worship has to happen in your hearts this morning. And it's not something that I, as a preacher, can do for you. So there's some principles of worship that I want to look at. But before we look at the principles of worship, I want to talk a little bit more about the foundation of worship. The foundation of worship, as I said before, is when we stand in awe of God for what he has done for us. I believe that is the foundation of worship. When we stand in awe of God and we realize what he has done for us, and that makes us stand in awe. God alone is the one that deserves our awe and our worship. In Revelation 4.11 it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So I have a question for you this morning. What is the value of Jesus to you? What is Jesus worth to you? 
Because I believe the deeper our relationship with Jesus, the greater our worship and the deeper our worship will be. When we we need him to get through the hard times, we need him to get through the, the difficult times in life, and we rely on him every day, then that is where worship, that's the foundation of worship. When we rely on him for our strength, for life, we will worship him. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. I'd like to look at an example here of someone that had a proper value of Jesus. John chapter 12. I'd like to read the first eight verses. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was this not ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone, against the day of my burrowing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. So why would this woman take this costly ointment and break it open and pour it on Jesus' feet? Why would she be so wasteful? And we look at that... And we look at being good stewards and, and using things wisely, and we might be a little bit more like, like Judas and what we'd like to admit. And we say, that was a waste of some good product. That would have been far better to sell that and give that money to the poor than much better that way. Judas obviously thought it was ridiculous. And it doesn't tell us what the rest of the disciples thought. But... Maybe they had some of the same thoughts and they just weren't as as verbal about it. Why would you do something like this? I believe it, because, it was because Mary had a connection with Jesus that some of these others didn't. And to see that, we want to go back into chapter 11. In chapter 11, Mary had a problem. She had a problem that she could not fix. She had a problem that was deep to her, in her heart. She had a brother that was sick. And if someone didn't help him, her brother was going to die. And that is a tough thing to go through. And so they cry out to Jesus. They call for Jesus. Will you come and heal Lazarus? Will you come and heal heal my brother? And we know the story how Jesus, he didn't come right away. He waited a few days and Lazarus dies. That is a difficult thing to go through. It was a deep, deep trouble in her heart. But then Jesus comes and he changed her heart. He changed her problem. Mary was going through a valley in her life and she could do nothing about it. Jesus shows up and brings healing. He brings joy. He turns that mourning into joy and he brings life. And this connected with Mary. She understood this. And this was wonderful what what Jesus has, had done for her. And the natural, the natural response for what Jesus had done for her was to pour out this expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. 
To her, Jesus was worth it. To her, she probably wished there was more that she could do for Jesus. And it hardly even reflected what her heart felt. It was just 300 pence worth of ointment. What more could I do? To her, Jesus was worth way more than that. But to those that didn't experience that, they said, why would you waste the oil? Why would you waste the ointment? To her, Jesus was worth it. Worship begins when we realize who we are without Christ and who we are after Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to look at a few verses there. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to think about what our circumstances are before Christ and who we are after Christ. Look at verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also... We all had a conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This is who we were before Christ changed us. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And later on, it says that there is nothing that we could do. Look at verse 12. That at that time we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is who we are without Christ. Mary understood that without Christ there was no hope of her brother coming back to life. And for us, without Christ, we have no hope to pay the debt of sin that we have and to have spiritual life. But go back to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace we are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see what Christ has done for us. What is Jesus worth to you? That is what brings worship. And I want to tell you something. If that doesn't bring a sense of awe to you, then you need some quiet time, sit down with your Bible, and think about what Christ has done for you. Because this should make us stand in awe of God, of what he has done for us. So what does this outpouring of worship look like today in the New Testament? What should it look like? Well, you don't need to turn to these verses. I'm just going to read some verses to you. The Bible gives us an idea of what worship looked like. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So here it says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Another verse. And Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So here we have people that fell down to the ground. They bowed their faces to the ground in worship because they were in awe of God. Another verse. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites 
and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. So here you have people that they stood up and they praised God loudly. And it was acceptable worship. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. These are all verses that are acceptable worship to God. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You see, there's all different ways that we can worship God. There's different ways that worship will express itself. And all these ways are acceptable worship unto God. And different cultures and and different people groups will express worship in different ways. And some of these ways that I read would probably, if we'd start doing it here, if I'd start doing that this morning, would make you feel a little uncomfortable probably. But some of the ways that we worship and that we're used to might make it a little uncomfortable for other uh, cultures and other people groups. They would feel uncomfortable here. The point is that true worship is not so much in how we worship, but the principles behind worship. There are three principles that I want to look at this morning. Number one, the first principle, is that worship is a result of obedience. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel 15. I'm not going to read this entire story. But here we have a story where God commands Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. They're sent to go to war, and he says, you don't save anything. You utterly destroy everything. You don't bring anything back. Get rid of everything. Get rid of the people. Get rid of the animals. You kill everything. Destroy them. There was clear instruction that was given to Saul that this is what he should do. And so let's start reading at verse 10. 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a he set up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I perform the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou 
not made the head of the tribe of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord said on, sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore thou then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is, an, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So some clear instructions. And Saul disobeyed some very simple instructions. Saul violated the basic principle of worship, which is obedience. Rather than obeying God, Saul decided that he knows best. The best thing is going to be to bring the best of the oxen and the sheep back with me and we'll offer them as sacrifice to the Lord. Because he didn't follow his instructions. He was not happy and he says... It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. I'm sorry that I put him in this in this position. It repented him that he set him up as king. And it extremely displeased God what he had done. What was Saul thinking? What was Saul thinking that he could disobey God and then come back and try to worship God? What was going through his mind? Why would someone think that he could blatantly disobey God and then come back and offer these sacrifices to God. Well, we cannot worship God. We cannot worship if we have been saying no to God all week. And we've been saying no to Him and to His commandments and disobeying His commandments all week. This gets a little closer home to us than what we like to admit sometimes. We like to come on a Sunday morning and we worship God. We collectively worship God. But what about Monday through Saturday? God gives us his word with clear instructions on how we should live. He gives commandments on how we should live. He gives us his, his Holy Spirit to direct us. And he works in our hearts. And he directs us in one way or the other. If we are violating the word of God and his spirit and then come to worship God, he will reject our worship. We can't sing, come here this morning and sing, I sing the mighty power of God, but all week we were denying the power of God and living in sin. We can't do that. If we do that this morning and we sing and praises to God, but all week we walked away from him, we weren't walking with him, God is going to reject our worship. What we are saying is, God, you are number one after me. And I remember as children sometimes, if there was something we had to take turns, we would jump in the front and say, well, you can be first right after me. If we are living this way, 
That's essentially what we're saying. God, you are number one right after me. I think I know what is best. That's what Saul was saying. I know what is best. I will do what I think is best. If we are rejecting the voice of God in our lives and he is trying to get us to do something, the spirit is speaking to us throughout the week and we keep putting the spirit off and say, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that. We can't expect to come and worship God and stand in awe of him this morning. Sometimes we give our children responsibilities. If we go off to work, we might tell the children, all right, today I want you to pull weeds in the garden and to push feed in for the cows. And maybe there's a couple things, a little list that you give them to do. And then after that, you can play the rest of the day. Well, I know how children are. Sometimes you eat breakfast, you get out and you start playing. And what would it be like if you would go throughout the day and you're riding bike or you're out riding four-wheeler and then you go the afternoon, it's hot, so you go swimming. Before you know it, dad comes home from work. And you're like, I never pull weeds in the garden, never push the feet up for the cows. But dad comes in the walk and you run out and say, oh, dad, I love you. You're the best dad ever. You're such an amazing dad. As a matter of fact, when I get big, I want to be exactly like you. Boy, that would melt his heart. That would be just... And then dad walks out back and he sees there's the weeds aren't pulled in the garden. He walks into the barn and the cows don't have feed because it was all pushed out and no one pushed the feed up. What do you think would speak louder? That loving words when, when he came home from work or the fact that the chores weren't done? What he had specifically told you to do was not done. Your life during the week speaks louder than your words on Sunday. Sometimes we come on a Sunday morning and we praise God and we honor God or maybe even in our personal devotions in the morning, we worship God and we, we praise God and we go throughout the week and we don't do what he wants us to do. The first principle of worship is obedience. God is looking for worship that stems from a life of obedience. The second principle, worship involves sacrifice. As I understand In the Old Testament, it was customary to offer sacrifices in worship to God after you return from war. And so what Saul was planning to do here was very customary. He returned back. God had given him a victory. To come back and to sacrifice to God and worship him, that that was customary. And there are some times that God would allow them to bring the spoil back and say, you can take the animals back, it can be yours. You take servants and whatever. You can, And sometimes he would allow that. Other times he would say, like in, in our example here in 1 Samuel 15, he would say, utterly destroy them. It's not yours, you cannot take it. Do not take anything. But regardless, regardless of whether they could take it or not, when there was a victory, it was customary for them when they came home to take the best of what they had and sacrifice it to God in praise and worship To him, it was a remembrance, a celebration of what God had done for them, which, again, is the foundation of worship, remembering what God has done for us. Saul was planning to follow this custom, but first he violated the first principle of worship, and second, he violated the principle of sacrifice. Now you say, wait a minute, he said that's what he was going to do, he was going to come and sacrifice, that's why he brought the animals back. 
The animals that Saul was planning to use for sacrifice was not his animals to take in the first place. It was no sacrifice to him. God had said, you cannot take, you destroy those animals. And so if Saul would have kept the custom of sacrificing to God when he came back and obeyed God and destroyed the animals, what would have he had to sacrifice? Then he would have had to come home and pull the best of his oxen and sacrifice them. And so here, Saul said, I'll take, and maybe I'm reading something into it, and forgive me if I am, but I believe that was his motive because he brought them back to sacrifice. And it wasn't going to be any sacrifice to him because it wasn't his in the first place. If God would have said, yes, you can take the animals, he could have added them to his herd, and it still would have been a sacrifice because they were rightfully his and he would have had to sacrifice them. We all like free things at times. Sometimes we say that as Mennonites we're, we're known for liking free things. But it's not just Mennonites. It is Saul here like free things as well. And there's other people. I think anywhere you go, different cultures, there's people that like free things. I have several free things around my house. Uh, we have a swing set that is we got for free. It's somebody that wanted to get rid of it. And so we have a little swing set that's for free. Um, I have a little water fountain there that I've liked for a long time. It's where I used to work. It was there in display. And, you know, if you're willing to wait long enough, it's amazing what you can get for free if you wait on it. If you have a little patience, we talked about that this morning, right? That's looks in our Sunday school. But we all like free things. We don't like when something costs us time or money or resources. Most of us don't really like that, when it costs us something. But worship must involve sacrifice. It must cost us something. We might have to give up some extra sleep in the morning, get up a half hour early or an hour early so we have time for our personal devotions and prayer life in the morning. We might have to give up our schedule to stop and help someone because that is an act of worship as well when we obey God and the Spirit says, here's someone I want you to help. Take time out of your schedule and do it. What sacrifice? Worship involves sacrifice. We might have to dig deeper than what we want to in our pockets to help in a brotherhood sharing need when there's a need in the congregation. You know, it's pretty easy to throw some money in the offering when it's out of our extra, when there's plenty. But when things are a little tight and you have to dig deeper than what you really want to, it hurts a little bit. I thought of the song, kind of a, a humorous song, some of you probably heard of it, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. Oh Lord, I am your willing servant. You know that I have been for years. I'm here in the pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I've stained with many a tear. I've given you years of my service. I've always given my best, and I've never asked you for anything much. So Lord, I deserve this request. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I have what it takes. I'll serve you here in suburbia, my comfortable middle-class life, but please don't send me to Africa. Not willing to sacrifice. And isn't that a little bit how we are sometimes? We'll serve you, God. We'll worship you as long as it's just smooth sailing. But when it comes to sacrifice, sometimes we put up our, our walls. We cannot stand in awe of God, but not be willing to sacrifice anything for Him. 
Mary sacrificed some expensive ointment. She was willing to sacrifice that. There's other things that could have been done with that ointment, but she was willing to sacrifice that. Today, in society, in the world, sports and music fans, there's many celebrities out there that fans are willing to sacrifice to see them or to shake their hands. And they will go to great extent. And they'll sacrifice many things, time, money, many things to to meet that celebrity that they stand in awe of. They will wait in line for hours. They'll pay money to get in, to see him perform or to shake their hand. Some rich folk will even pay money to to hire a celebrity to come to their private party. I just did a little research. There's one celebrity that um, said it starts at a million dollars if you want him to come to your private party. You can have him come to your party, it'll cost you a million dollars. And apparently people do it, because otherwise they wouldn't offer it. And these fans stand in awe, and they're willing to sacrifice for that. How much greater of a celebrity should God be to us? And how much greater should we be willing to sacrifice for what God has done for us? Are you willing to sacrifice as a result of His redemption in your life? Are you willing to sacrifice for that? We can't come before God and stand of all in all of Him and yet not be willing to sacrifice. So the first principle is the principle of obedience. The second principle, the principle of sacrifice. The third and last principle is worship involves submission and surrender. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And here we have the story. Again, we're not going to read the entire story. But we have the story where Nebuchadnezzar has this idol built. And his command is that when the music is played, everybody is supposed to bow down and worship this idol that he has set up. No exceptions. Everybody has to bow down and worship. And we know that there was three boys among the many people that were there that were the only three that were standing up, at least that we have record of. They would not bow down. They would not worship this idol because they knew it was wrong. Their worship, they stood in awe of the living God, not this idol or the king. And this made Nebuchadnezzar furious. Let's jump in here at verse 13. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. 
These three boys didn't even have to think twice. They didn't know. They didn't have to go sleep over it. They knew exactly what their answer was. They said, we will not bow down. Thank you for giving us a second chance, but no thanks. We're not going to bow down. We're not going to do it. The highest example of surrender is the willingness to give up one's life. And Jesus is the greatest example of that. He prayed in the garden. He prayed that his father would remove the cup from him. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. And we know that he surrendered his heart to the will of his father because of what happened next. The soldiers came, they took him, and they nailed him to a cross. And Jesus just accepted it. And he died on the cross. Here, the Hebrew boys had totally surrendered their lives to God. Total surrender to them. It was, even if it was going to cost them their life, they said, we will not worship. We know God can deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. We're okay with that. We will not worship this golden image that you have set up. The fact that they could be killed didn't even budge them. And Nebuchadnezzar noticed this. We know the story, how they were thrown into the furnace. It was made seven times hotter. And there they walked around the furnace and not even a hair was singed on their head. And so Nebuchadnezzar looks and he sees what happens and he calls them out and he says to them in verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and hath changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that here were three boys that trusted in God and that had yielded their bodies. They were willing to serve this God regardless of what happened to them, and God delivered them because of it. Worship is a time of renewed submission and surrender to God. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, you don't need to turn to it. He stood in awe before the throne of God, and there he stood, and he felt his insufficiency, he felt his sins. And then he was cleansed. And he realized what he had been cleansed from. And then God said, who can I send? Who can I send out there? And Isaiah said, I'll go. He was surrendered. He was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. He said, I'll go. Here I am. Send me. When we stand in awe of God, it must result in a life of submission and surrender to God. Whatever God calls us to go through. We don't know what God is going to call us to go through this week. I don't know what you'll be called to go through. But when we worship God and we stand in all of Him, we put our trust in Him as the Hebrew boys did. And we say, whatever we go through, God, I'm willing to go through it with you. I'm submitting my life to you. I thought of this song in the three different verses. The first verse, it says, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. The second verse is, I'll say what you want me to say. And the third verse, I'll be what you want me to be. That is a result of worship. It results in surrendering our lives to God. Worship is a time of surrendering to Him, putting our complete trust in Him. Trust Him for the future, whatever comes our way. Trust Him for the hard times. Maybe you know that you already have something difficult that you have to face, or maybe you're going through something difficult right now. Worship puts our trust in Him. And we say, God, I trust You and I surrender my life to You. 
And as the Hebrew boys, trust him regardless of what it's going to cost you. Well, in closing, worship will look different for different people in different times and different cultures. True worship is more than the style of worship, but rather the principles of worship matter. Do we stand in awe of God this morning, that foundation? Is your worship a result of obedience? Does your worship involve sacrifice? Does your worship result in submission and surrender? Worship is not just an emotion this morning. It's not just an emotion, but I believe it will affect our emotions. Worship is not an emotion, but it will affect our emotion. True worship cannot be emotionally charged charged on Sunday morning and not involve these three principles the rest of the week. We cannot use emotion to get us fired up for God. But when we stand in awe of God, it is ba- and it's backed up with a light. And in some cultures, that might mean raising their hands. In some cultures, it might mean bowing down before God. And some of that here. But if we find ourselves disengaged in worship, whatever that looks like, falling asleep during collective worship, and we're and our minds are wandering during during collective worship, we cannot stand in awe of God and fall asleep at the same time. Because worship will affect our emotions. Worship will affect us and we'll be involved in worship. A fan would never pay a million dollars to have a celebrity come to their party and then fall asleep on them. They wouldn't worship. True worship will affect us Monday through Saturday and it will be alive on Sunday during collective worship.